Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CME curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, everybody. My name is Guy Young. I'm a pediatric hematologist, oncologist at Children's Hospital Los Angeles and the University of Southern California and uh, specialize in coagulation disorders. And we're here today to discuss uh, direct oral anticoagulants and uh, what we can uh, learn from the clinical trials. And uh, we've reviewed some of those uh, data for you in the previous talks. And today we're going to have a panel discussion about those uh, with two of my colleagues. Uh, so for starters, uh, let's have Dr. Jaffray uh, go ahead and introduce herself. Hi, I am a pediatric hematologist. I also specialize in pediatric coagulation. Uh, my research, though, is really focused on pediatric venous thromboembolism. Thank you, Julie. And uh, uh, Neil, tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. I'm Neil Goldenberg. I'm a pediatric hematologist as well, professor of pediatrics and medicine at Johns Hopkins University, but I am based on the Florida campus at Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital. And like my colleagues, I have a special interest and research focus in coagulation uh, and specifically for myself in venous thromboembolism treatment prevention and prognostic factors. Great. Well, thanks to you both. Um, I think we all know that uh, the um, era of, of or, or that we're moving into a new era in pediatric anticoagulation with the recent approval of two oral anticoagulants in children after many, many years of study. Um, let me start by asking actually Neil the first question about the previous anticoagulants. And can you tell us, you know, what was the unmet need? Um, what, why did we really need, or why do we really need these new oral anticoagulants in children? What, what are they providing that we didn't have before and what we were using? Well, that's a really important question, Guy. And I think there are some pragmatic aspects for families. Uh, and there are also some challenges that we have as prescribers um, with our conventional historical anticoagulant armamentarium in children. And so uh, low molecular weight heparin as one of the most common historical anticoagulants um, administered in kids uh, is an injectable uh, and therefore, there's discomfort, there's invasiveness, um, there's challenges in uh, making sure that one is drawing up the appropriate dose and administering the full dose through an injectable. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, from a, from a patient satisfaction, parent satisfaction, um, that can be very difficult. Um, and so I, then when we look at warfarin and vitamin K antagonists in general, as the conventional oral option for anticoagulation. Uh, there are a host of challenges uh, with warfarin um, with regard to dietary interactions, drug-drug interactions, um, challenges with dosing, especially uh, for uh, pediatric patients who can't swallow pills uh, and the need to crush up uh, uh, and, and try to give an uh, oral solution. Uh, and so, uh, the, all of those aspects really call for an agent that can be given uh, non-invasively with a very stable profile uh, with minimal drug interactions and minimal dietary interactions. Um, so I think that was a key unmet need. Uh, and beyond that, just getting to the idea of how the agents are approved, 
we still have an ongoing unmet need to really study certain populations and indications in pediatrics. And so I think even with the approval of uh, new oral anticoagulants, we need to really pursue some of the ongoing unmet needs in special populations. Thank you, Neil. And so Julie, with these new agents uh, being now available and indeed uh, uh, some of them, not all of them, but some of them licensed for use in children, um, how do you see uh, this evolving into the real world clinical use? Thanks, Scott. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really interested to see, um, and as you know, there's some centers like at CHLA and Neil at Johns Hopkins that we've been involved in the, these newer anticoagulant phase one, phase two, phase three trials. And I think for us, it's a little bit easier to adapt these new medications to start using them in our patients. But what I think will be interesting are the other centers who weren't involved in the trials and may not feel as comfortable using them in children. Um, and I think the other big the question is how who are we going to start with? You know, so we've got neonates, we've got those children in the in the neonatal ICU versus a 16-year-old patient that was maybe not even hospitalized and had a thrombosis. And and I think it's going to be very interesting how each of us decide which patient might be appropriate to start on these medications. And you know, I know for my practice, I plan on, you know, being a little picky, not just deciding, all right, no one is getting low molecular weight heparin anymore. Um, we are going to switch everyone over to these newer oral anticoagulants. My, um, my view is that I think I will pick those who I feel is okay, that we don't have ways to measure the level of the anticoagulant. I think that's that's the biggest plus and minus of these new medications. So they, you know, at this point, there are no standardized um, laboratory tests to decide if the, the level is good enough, which is pretty normal for most of the other medications we take. But this is a new place for patients on anticoagulants. So I want to pick a patient that I am okay if their level, um, I don't know it. I'm not that worried about bleeding. And I also want to make sure that I choose patients that I'm really confident of their, you know, their absorption. So perhaps not someone who, who needs a lot of help uh, getting vitamins absorbed and, and things like that. So I'm personally going to, I'm excited, but I'm also going to step cautiously at the beginning. Thank you. Neil, what are your thoughts on, on Julie's answer and, and the clinical use? Yeah, I think it's a really important question, and uh, I share a lot of Julie's perspectives on that. And I think a lot of us have been uh, starting to use these agents on label, and you know, as is often the case in pediatrics, uh, uh, you know, obviously sometimes departing uh, from uh, what we know is approved practice because there are real uh, pragmatic situations in clinical care. I think one thing that's important to me and I think all of us as researchers um, have a bit of this in us, is um, having that um, careful dialogue with the family uh, and the patient, depending on their age, around 
um, the uh, what we know and what we don't know about various agents. And so I present uh, conventional anticoagulants as options to all of my patients in 2022. But I also present to them, um, do we know that something appears to be as effective, as safe? Do we have any evidence of superiority? Um, and I think largely we don't. And so presenting it as here's another option, um, here's what we know from the large trials, and here are some of the pragmatic aspects. Um, and then presenting them as options and letting the family have a lot of input and veto uh, or ultimate decision. And often, I think all of us have situations where parents will say, okay, hey, doc, well, what would you use if this was your child? And certainly, if that's what they're asking after I've presented it, then I'll say, well, here are some of the reasons for which I think you know, options A and B might be best out of the four in this circumstance because of some pragmatic aspect or because of the evidence. So um, to add to Julie, I think just, you know, presenting the options and the evidence in a succinct fashion is really important because I do think what we have now is expanded options rather than largely evidence of superior options when it comes to kind of phase three data. Thank you. And then I uh, will close with Julie. Um, are there specific or any types of patient populations for whom these new agents are not appropriate? Yeah, I think I just briefly touched on it. Um, I, you know, the when you look at the, especially the phase three trials that have been published, there are a couple of uh, populations that I think we as thrombosis treaters have, have noticed that aren't on these. And those are really uh, especially the neonates, but especially the premature neonates, which goodness gracious, a lot of our clots are in the neonatal ICU. And I think those children we really need to be careful with as you know, the three of us understand, but maybe other pediatricians don't, is their developmental hemostasis is, is still developing. Their, their, their pro and anticoagulants are still being formed, are increasing levels. And so it is really important that if we are trying new medications that are anticoagulants in this particular group of patients, that we study them specifically uh, versus just hoping that, well, it works, you know, in a one-year-old, I expect it'll work in a 28-week uh, infant. So though, that is who I'm not going to start, and I would not recommend uh, anyone else giving these medications until we have um, a little bit more data. Um, I think the other population that is interesting, and I think we need to be uh, a little bit careful with, are, are those who are new surgical uh, cardiac patients. So this is another group who have had a lot of thromboses. There is an agent that has been approved for prevention of future thromboses, but there really wasn't a study on newly uh, out of the OR cardiac ICU patients, you know, especially those with single ventricle physiology or cyanotic heart disease. Um, but unfortunately, they get a lot of thromboses. But I would also be hesitant in uh, starting anything on them, especially they have, you know, it can tend to have a higher risk of bleeding. So those would be the two main populations I would be, I would not want to start anything on yet. All right, thank you. And then we'll close with uh, Neil just having a little bit of follow up on the, on the safety issues. Yeah, I think one thing that we've learned predominantly from the adult uh, data is to have caution with regard to patients with prior arterial events who have antiphospholipid antibodies or those who have multiply positive antiphospholipid antibodies, regardless of whether it's an arterial or venous event. 
um, to be cautious about use of DOAC agents as opposed to some of the conventional ones until we have more data. All right, thank you. I think the other area that um, I think data is still emerging is mechanical heart valves. And, and for that, probably warfarin is still the go-to agent when we can use it. Well, thank you to both of you. I think there was really valuable uh, information and insights there for clinicians who really um, do need to learn about these agents because they do offer lots of advantages as we discussed, but we do want the, them to use them in, in the proper manner and in the right patients. Well, thanks very much and uh, hope everybody learned something and goodbye. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated, and is part of our Minute CME curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.